0: Mm. Mm. hello i'm janice connelly the artistic director of women in theater and i'm very very pleased to welcome you to the women in theater podcast in this series we present monologues from our women and work trilogy Developed from conversations with women of different ages and backgrounds, these pieces we hope respect and celebrate individual human stories about women's working lives. You're about to hear in It's Safe, written by Maeve Clark and performed by Linda Hargreaves. This piece was part of our 2019 production, Primetime, which presented diverse stories of women of retirement age. And listen on afterwards to hear me talking with Maeve about the process of writing the monologue. We hope you enjoy.
1: Maud made me this playlist. All the tracks we used to listen to at work. It's nice to have something on in the background as I pack up the house, but it brings back so many memories. Music does that though, doesn't it? Oh, look at all this stuff. Don't need half of it anyway. To my mind, the best things you keep up here in your head, or here in your heart, Although there was a time when my head was so full of bad stuff, there was no space for anything else. Anyway. Time to get rid of the unnecessary and superfluous. Right, that can go. And that. And that. Unnecessary and superfluous. That's how so many of us, especially women, are made to feel once we're our sixties. Aww. Hmm. <laughs> Look at this photo. 16 I was. The first time we met. And as soon as I saw him, I knew it'd be for life. But life doesn't have to mean a life sentence, does it? I'm talking about my son, Kevin. Unplanned, but not unwanted. Well, at least not by me. Bill, Kev's dad, was very good at withdrawing. But one night he seemed determined to get me pregnant. And by the time I thought, move Cassie, because this guy's not getting off ya, It was too late. Found out I was pregnant a month later. Mum turned her back on me and Dad, well, he always did what Mum wanted. And that's how I ended up marrying Bill. Deep down, I, I didn't want to. But I suppose it was a way of showing me parents I could manage. Oh, I was so naive. I thought marriage meant that Bill loved me, wanted me more than all the other ones before. All it meant was that my parents wouldn't report him to the police for underage sex like Mum had threatened. By the time I found out that Kev wasn't Bill's first unplanned or unwanted baby, it was too late. I'd made me bed and had to lie in it, as Mum was happy to remind me. I'm not going to pretend it was really hard. <laughs> what did I know about bringing up a baby? <laughs> I was a kid with a kid. I'd have gone to uni, but for Kev. I'd have been the first one in my family too. Oh well, maybe in my next life. <laughs> My first ever payslip. Saturday girl at the co-op that used to be on the high street, you know, next to Marks and Spencer's. Do you remember Crossroads? Well, the guy that played David Hunter used to shop there. Oh, he was gorgeous close up. I only earned a couple of quid a week, but I felt rich, even though I had to give half of it to mum for me keep. She made me save a bit weekly too. I resented it at the time, but... It was good training and I've never lost the habit. Schools should teach kids about finance and about how to save and things like that. I wish they'd taught me about mortgages, about pensions and about what happens if you dip into them. I went back to the co-op full time after I had Kev. My new boss made my life a misery, a bully in heels she couldn't walk in. <laughs> she tripped and broke both her ankles because of them shoes. Probably ran the back of Rackham's up to no good when she did it. She was off for months and I stopped waking up in the middle of the night with me stomach in knots, dreading the day ahead. The day before she came back, I started at Cadbury's. I was there for over 40 years. Oh, and I loved it. You make special friendships on a night shift, and it was never the same when I switched to days. I still can't get used to sleeping through the night, though the reasons are a bit different now. <laughs> we were a funny bunch, <laughs> especially Big Sue and Tupperware Tracy. <laughs> Well, with three Traces, we had to think of a way to distinguish them. She'd bring leftover veg in plastic containers. I'd just been nodding off on me break, and this stink had come creeping up on me. Oh, it was enough to give you nightmares. And then I'd wait with a jump to find Tupperware Traces sitting next to me, tucking into cold, boiled cabbage. i never use the toilets after her either. Never. As for Big Sue, now I'm not being rude, she really was a big girl, (laughs) even she said so, always on a diet of some sort, but she brought her problems on herself. She just wouldn't stop eating the chocolates. We used to watch her, taking the chocolates off the line when she thought no one was looking. Whenever we saw her, we'd shout, Sue, diet, do you know what she'd say? I'm doing quality control. Quality control, my arse. She just loved chocolate and wouldn't admit it. Oh. <laughs> Whenever I hear this, I think of Maud. If she thought we were slacking, she'd put this on full blast. Come on, ladies! She'd shout. Follow me! And she'd have us all dancing, stretching our arms and wagging our necks. <laughs> Great shoulder workout when you've been bent over machines and conveyor belts for hours. Maud became my best friend, helped me with everything from work to home and paperwork I didn't understand to not letting myself be walked over. Though I loved my job, that night shift nearly killed me at times. I'd start at 8 in the evening and finish 6.30 the next morning. Then I'd rush home from Bourneville to the other side of town, get Kev ready for school, and then we'd run for the 20 past 8 bus. Went on for years. Speak of the devil. It's from Kev. Nan thinks you're making a mistake. (laughs) So what's new? I'd always walk home too, even if the weather was bad, you see. It was my own little pocket of time. No voices, no machinery clanging, no Bill. <laughs> Nobody wanting anything from me. Just me. Bill left us when Kev was about seven. Wish I'd left him first. But I didn't have the courage. He never gave us a penny after he left either. He said, if I wanted money, he'd pay me to wash his clothes? Bloody nerve. If it hadn't been for Maud. She gave me and of a place to stay when not even me own mom would lend a hand. I'll never forget that. When I used to get down, Maud would say, life may not be safe now, but retirement will be. And the day we hit 60 and get our pensions will be free. And nobody, not a single person, will be able to take it away from us or tell us what to do. Retirement can be whatever we want it to be. And I believed her. We both believed it. Who would have guessed that the government had changed the retirement age? I'll be 65 seven months and 30 days before I can retire officially. Not long now, actually. Three months and 13 days. But who's counting? I was 43 when I met David. We met on the rainiest day of the year. My umbrella wasn't working, so I sheltered under his. And when my bus came, he insisted that I keep his brolly. He caught the flu that night. (laughs) That's when he got a fever for me. Do you remember, David how you used to say that we thought we had all the time in the world retirement in our early 60s while we were still young still healthy we could never have imagined that his mind would wear out before his body did and now nothing's turned out as we planned and everything's happening backwards i lost him slowly A little bit at a time, a moment at a time, a a memory, a a laugh, a gesture, a word. And finally, a world. Even though he was forgetting things, sometimes he'd surprise me. Like the day he grabbed me round the waist and he said, Do you remember this? we danced right there in the kitchen and for a moment he was back with me but those moments got shorter and shorter as he slipped further and further away and each time it took him longer and longer to come back to me before David took really ill I used to wonder if Alzheimer's was like sitting in a hot bath And allowing your mind to wander in peace. But it isn't peaceful though, is it? I could see it. The frustration in his his eyes, in his face as he struggled to remember thoughts, words, conversations. Me. And little by little, the fight slipped out of him. If he were here, he'd say, No regrets, love. We found each other and we held on tight. I don't regret anything. How can I when I found you? Eventually, I had to give up work to become his carer. (laughs) Ironic, really. If I'd only given up work when he retired, we'd have had 18 months together when his mind was still his own. We had to put the house on the market to pay for David's care. He cried when we handed over the keys. So did I. He knew what was happening, but it wasn't his fault. It was nobody's fault. And then do you know what happened? The sale fell through. But we'd already committed to an assisted living place and a retirement home by then. So we had to remortgage the house and rent it out so that we could move there. And there we were, trapped, him in his mind, and me, in a future I'd never planned for. I decorated the place with our bits and bobs, but seeing familiar things in unfamiliar spaces just confused him. We were out of place, and eventually out of time. Barely six months later he had a massive heart attack, Life insurance paid off the mortgage. Death insurance, really. We should have retired together. But we played it safe, thinking we had time. (laughs) What a joke. Do you want my advice? The only time that counts is now. Because if you wait, it'll be the wrong things that slow you down and you'll be left with regrets and thoughts of all the things you can no longer have. Maud? Y- yeah, I-, I won't be long, love. Okay. try. She's taking me to the airport. All these years and still looking out for me. What the? Oh, I thought I'd got rid of this bloody Bereavement support payment booklet. Did you know that you've only got three months to apply for this after your husband or wife dies? Or that if they die after you reach pension age, you don't get a penny at all? No, neither did I. (laughs) When grief has you clamped so tightly between its jaws you think you're never going to breathe again, you can't think straight. If it hadn't been for Maude. She filled out all the paperwork, told me where to sign... Sent it off. And do you know that they deduct a month's payment for every month your application's late? I couldn't believe it when Maude told me. They've no compassion, these people. They're nothing but nameless, heart-of-stone pen-pushers. Why can't they just pay you automatically when you register the death? And as for all those people living together for years but never married, they don't get a thing. me and kev had crosswords last week your inheritance i said cheeky little so-and-so what inheritance i plan to spend every last penny before i shuffle off i said he didn't like that much well of course i'll leave him something just nothing like what he's expecting you see i've changed since david died i've learned my lesson and i'm not waiting for a future that may never come I'm going travelling, I told Kev. Western Supermare, like when I was a kid, he said. <laughs> I'll give you a clue. So I got me fan out, I flicked it under his nose and I shouted, "¡Viva España! He just stared at me. No sense of humour. I suppose we could get a room in a nice B&B and go for walks every day he said, eventually. <laughs> well, that made me smile. <laughs> Walks! My Kev's the laziest person I know. Maybe that's my fault. I tried to give him everything I didn't have. Spent years doing everything for him. Spoilt him, I have. Made him selfish. David sent me this postcard from El Camino de Santiago, España. That's the way of St James in English. It's a pilgrimage route in Spain. I'd only known him a few months when he went. But when I read the postcard, Cassie, let's do this when we've retired. Love, David. I knew. I knew he was in it for keeps, just like me. If we hadn't dipped into our pensions early to put that deposit down on the house, if we hadn't wanted to make up the deficit, if we hadn't been so bloody sensible we might have taken that walk together after I told Kev about Spain he said oh I don't think you should do this alone and anyway I can't walk that far you're right I said on both counts I'm not going alone and you're not coming David's ashes I'm taking him on El Camino I'm going for a month, and I'll tell him all my thoughts and what I can see. It'll be our last walk together. Maud offered to come with me, but I said no. You see, Spain's special. It's just for me and David. I thought she'd be upset, but she was really happy for me. In fact, she hugged me so hard, I nearly farted. (laughs) Then Kev piped up. But what about Nan? The two of them got on, you see. Turned out she could love him, she just couldn't love me. She remarried when Dad died. Didn't even tell me, although she invited Kev to the wedding. She had other kids too. They're younger than me, so they can look after her. What about me, Kev? I said. I'm 65 now and who knows how long I've got. Don't I deserve my time too? But he wasn't listening well now david's passed on he started you won't be needing all this space so me and nan will move in with you when you get back from spain and that way she'll get looked after and you'll have something to do during the day actually kev i said i'm not coming back for a while and i've rented the house out well where am i supposed to live he said turned out He'd been planning to move home all along. How can I keep you company if you're abroad? So I set him straight. I don't want you company, love. I want you to find company of your own because after Spain, I'm taking David to Jamaica. Jamaica, Kev said. Why, it's not as if he can sunbathe with you. Kev may be my only child, but sometimes a temptation to... Anyway, I took a deep breath and said, David always wanted to go to the Caribbean to watch Test cricket, follow a tour from island to island. So I'm going to watch a match for him and describe it to him over by over. And in the evenings, I'll drink rum punch and watch beautiful sunsets with Maud. Well, <laughs> you should have seen Kev's face. Maud! Maud! You'd go with her, but not me. I just ignored that and I said, and then one day when it feels right, I'll sprinkle his ashes in the sea. And no need for you to worry, love. I'll have Maud for the good and the bad times. And I'll have David right here in my heart with me. Kev looked at me as if I was bonkers. What's wrong with you? He says It can't be the menopause You're too old That's when I threw him out Don't call me I'll call you I said Better still I'll send you a postcard (sighs) Do you know what I couldn't care less What Kev thinks Days count differently Since David died And I'm doing this for him And for me I need to know if I can go solo, do this by myself. You see, when I think about it, I've never been truly alone in my life, ever. I went from home to Bill to Maud and then to David. No spaces in between. (laughs) Can you believe it? But I've never booked a flight before. Or a hotel, and I've never travelled alone. Whatever age I was, there was always someone by my side, whether they were the right person or not. Nobody knows, but I've signed up for some volunteering work abroad too. I don't know where I'm going yet, but it doesn't matter. I'm ready. It's been nine months since David died. That's a pregnancy. (laughs) A whole new life formed in that time. My new life. And I won't be truly alone because David will be with me in my heart and my mind every step of the way.
0: You've just heard Linda Hargreaves performing "Playing It Safe," and listen on now to hear me talking with the writer Maeve Clark about the writing of the monologue. If you've enjoyed listening, don't forget to rate and review the podcast. I'm very pleased to say that I'm going to be now speaking to Maeve Clark, who is the writer of "Playing Safe." Um, now, Maeve, I know that you're a you're a you are a writer anyway, mm. but mostly known for writing.
2: Short Short stories, short fictions, couple of... Well, a novel and a half. You've written a novel and a half. Get that half finished. I know, I know.
0: (laughs) And I was saying before we started recording... Was this the first piece of drama you'd written? But it's not the first piece of drama, is it's it? It's not the
2: first piece of drama because I've done a couple of um, courses, sort of, you know, 10 weeks here and right. and stuff like that. So I've written things as a result of that. But this is the first time um, I've written a monologue and certainly the first sort of paid proper big commission. So uh, what was uh, the I've
0: experience heard. like?
2: It's great because it's such a different way of working as well. Um, And when the chance came up, I was really excited, but I was a little bit scared as well. Will I be up to the job or not? Because I realised that my experience probably isn't, I didn't think it was as, it was, Good enough in a sense, maybe. Oh, well, none of us think we're good enough, maybe, so <laughs> don't remember.
0: So when right. you say the experience was a really good one, you learnt a lot. If you can just talk us through the process, because I think maybe people would be interested to know how you work with women in theatre mm-hmm. to create that monologue. So how, what was the process like?
2: Um, well, first of all, sort of meeting the other writers and the people who would be involved in the project and just, you know, in a really relaxed, informal mm. way, talking about what had gone on in the past and how this particular series of monologues fitted into that and sort of the the history and ethos of women in theatre. And then having meetings set up with different target audiences and having a chance to go and talk to those people. Yeah, and, and I came out
0: and did some research with absolutely. two women
2: at Moseley Road Baths, which is a place very oh, close yeah. to my heart. That and great. that was brilliant,
0: wasn't
2: <laughs> it? It was excellent. I mean, I met so many different women with so many different experiences. Um, there were so certainly some common themes. And it was good for me as a writer because I'd not written that way before, where you go and do your research mm. and you really allow what you find to infuse and... And, and help form the piece that you're writing.
0: How would you say you normally wrote then, if this was a new thing for you to go actually into talk to people? Very
2: scattered way, which is why I'm on a novel and a half. <laughs> 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 no, I tend to do the writing first, start with dialogue, and the bits that I don't like, like um, description, I fit those in later and do the research after. So this was almost like working in reverse.
0: Oh, okay. So, yeah. Oh, all right. So you write your stuff and then you research what you need yeah. to know, whereas this came from research informing Mm. what you wrote and then then your imagination kicks in oh that's very it's absolutely a reverse of the process yeah but it
2: was a great one because i've learned so much from it as well Mm. and you know you you want to honor the women that you've spoken to by allowing their words to be part of what you write and 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 informing the piece, you know, helping to create it and make it into a strong piece that they recognise. Yeah. Um, but also that people who maybe you didn't speak to think, but I see myself in that character or in those words. Yeah, that's and right. So by being very personal, it becomes universal, mm. actually. Yeah, yeah. That's a nice way of putting it. So
0: you you wrote the piece. We did several drafts. How many drafts did you do?
2: Uh, quite a few mm. in the end um, and each time it got tighter and tighter and tighter and so that was another good thing about working with the theatre in this way being able to speak mm. to um, the director, the dramaturge and um, get feedback and then hearing it being said and what, being able to work with the actress Oh and, okay, so yeah. that was
0: beneficial as well
2: No, all of it was because it, it makes you open your mind to possibilities of meaning Ah, that's very
0: interesting. Because mm-hmm. I think as a writer, as a writer myself, I think when you first start out, you think, oh, don't, I just want to write this. You don't understand yeah. what I'm trying to mm-hmm. say. But actually, it's really useful to take on, a. It's sort of, as you said, feedback, really, because mm-hmm. people are hearing it. And if what we're trying to say isn't clear or there's a better way of doing it... It it really helps, doesn't it, to listen to other people. Yeah,
2: too? absolutely. And sometimes, you know, less is more because it gives mm, space and strength like, yeah. to what's actu- what actually remains, then those words become strong That's or poignant true. or you know, they 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 touch the heart of what you're trying to say or what you know this whole process, this series of monologues, they, they really reach into the heart of a of a topic that's not often not discussed enough.
0: No, that's right. It's, it's a very sort of... Um, it's not a taboo topic, mm. but it's, it's left alone, isn't yeah. it? Like you say, it's ignored. When you came to see the performances and you saw the audience reaction, how did that affect you?
2: Uh, on a couple of levels, as, as a writer, enormously proud. Um, and just seeing how we'd started off at the beginning to where we got at the end... I thought the direction was incredible. The performances of the actresses, it it was, I just felt really proud. I felt really proud and I wanted my mum to be there. Um, She couldn't be there, obviously, because she was in Jamaica, but I kept thinking she would have really loved that. Um, And just hearing reactions after the performance. And even during the performance, you know, I'd look around and maybe there'd be somebody with a tear in their eye or they'd be nodding. And, and it was a very vocal
0: audience wasn't yes. it? it was, the audience made themselves known throughout the performance and it was it's quite rare to be in a theatre where people feel that comfortable or that engaged to be that supportively vocal It was quite amazing I thought
2: I thought so I mean I went on the first night and the last night because I think it's always quite nice to try mm-hmm. and see how it starts and how it ends and how the audience react to to things and on both evenings like you said there were really vocal, really had things to say, were thoroughly engaged. And quite often after theatre shows, you see people sort of, they go off. But people were hanging around. They were talking about yeah, it. They brilliant. were talking to people that they hadn't met before they went into that performance. And I just think if a piece can provoke or invoke that kind of reaction, then, you know, something's been done right.
0: Oh, how brilliant. <laughs> In terms of your own retirement has it given you a, any kind of insight into has it changed your mind about anything it doesn't have to mate.
2: <laughs> it's made me think i should have started thinking about this a lot <laughs> earlier and you know i was just thinking oh they're absolutely right because a common theme was we should you know young young people should learn about things like this in school mm. it's something that should be talked about um and it's not and then sort of when you start earning it's kind of the last thing you think about well i did i was mm. living abroad and i was earning and i just thought it's really nice to have money pension oh that'll come later i've got plenty of time <laughs> and now i look back and think i don't have much time at all um, what am i going to do mm.
0: so we need to put it on the agenda and theatre is a really good way of putting yeah. things on the agenda and sharing them mm. so in terms of your own writing are you writing anything are you
2: finishing that half a book well, um, that novel, I thought it was finished. Well, I knew it wasn't really <laughs> oh, finished right. as we all, well. <laughs> we always
0: we think nobody will notice.
2: <laughs> I knew it wasn't finished, but I was lucky enough to be in a position where an agent had read a few pages of it and really right. liked it and asked for all of it. And although I said it's not ready, he just kept saying, well, you know, it would be really nice. I want to see what happens to these characters. And he really thoroughly enjoyed um, the beginning of the novel, and he loved the writing throughout. But he said, there's one problem, structure, and that's a massive problem. So I've got lots of very good feedback, and I'm going to work on that again. And then I think I'll have a strong first draft. And um, it's, sort of, it's very hard work, isn't it, playwriting yeah, play
0: and writing in general?
2: They're nice, though, because um, they're different forms of writing. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I mean... I first started um, writing for theatre when I had a block in writing a novel. And my boss at the time saw an advert for um, a programme at the Belgrade, actually. Ten-week playwriting. Yeah, yeah. and that's what I went on. And I thought, oh, God, this is so hard, but it's brilliant. I've not had to think like this before. So um, that's where it started. And for me now, I'd love to do more for theatre. To do both. Have you
0: got any top tips for anybody who's listening to this and thinking, I'm a writer, I want to write? What would your three top tips be to somebody who is starting out writing or is in the middle of writing and maybe got a writer's block, actually?
2: Um, Well, first of all, it's just write, write, write. Even Mm. if you don't think it's any good, there'll always be a line or a phrase or something that you can use later or in something else. Um when I started writing, I didn't, I, it was just something I wanted to do. And so I entered competitions because I thought, well, I'm not showing it to anybody that I know. So it doesn't matter if they say yes or no. Mm. And sort of just sending things out helped me because some of the things were getting feedback, okay. which was really stimulating. And then that gave me the courage to show it to people that I did know. And um, if you're into theatre, try and see as much as you can, you know, watch theatre, you, know, you can borrow things for free from the library. Um, there are lots of free courses. Just, yeah, do a little bit, even if it just starts with writing your diary every day. Yeah, you know, that's where it starts. Um, and and really just go for it. Believe that you can do it. And you'll find a form that suits you. And it may not be playwriting, it may not be novel writing, but by through the process of writing, you start to see what it is that you're good at expressing. Thank you, Maeve. So, what Maeve's top tip is do it.
0: And thank you so much for coming in and writing that wonderful monologue. Thanks, Maeve. Thank you for the opportunity.
2: Thanks, Janice.
0: Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you know someone who would benefit and enjoy listening, why not share it with them? Also, rating and reviewing the podcast will help us find more listeners. Time to Shine was written by Rachel Mannering and performed by Janice Connolly. It was directed by Joe Gleave and sound design was by Sam Frankie Fox and the podcast was recorded at Brum Podcast Studios. The Women in Theatre podcast is funded by Arts Council England, the Sir Barry Jackson Trust, the Feeney Trust, the Cole Charitable Trust and The Space. It was originally part of the stage productions produced in association with Birmingham Repertory Theatre. This is a free podcast from Women in Theatre. We're a charity. And if you'd like to support the work we do, you can make a donation by visiting our website, womenintheatre.co.uk forward slash supporters.